0: Well, good morning. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Mark Ashbaugh, campus minister with Reformed University Fellowship to our local college students. If you've got your Bible, flip open to Colossians. We're continuing on in this letter to the Colossian Church written by the Apostle Paul. It's in page 984 in your Pew Bible. And if you flip to the New Testament and you end up in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, or Colossians, it's kind of a helpful, you know, I don't assume everyone knows everything and I forget things as I keep getting older and getting more gray hairs, but General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians is one way to kind of think through it. Um, Another option is God eats popcorn, which maybe sounds heretical, but I like to think if Jesus was here today, he would be eating popcorn along with us. So this is God's word for each and every one of us this morning from Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Do you all pray with me? Father, thank you again for your grace and kindness. Thank you that we have the opportunity to be here together this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us, each and every one of us, regardless of our emotions or feelings or circumstances, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to behold wonderful things of your Word. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So, in the early 1900s, the British Empire was the greatest navy in the world. But they've been slowly losing that title to the Germans, and so they began an arms race to create the most powerful warships in the world. And the prevailing technology at the time was that you should build your coal bays longitudinally, meaning along the side of the ship, because the prevailing technology was if a ship is to attack you with its shells and its guns, it's going to hit the side of your ship, but that coal bay will provide extra coverage. And so in the early 1900s, when the Lusitania was constructed, it was constructed with a joint venture between Britain, the British Empire, and the Cunard Shipping Company, because Britain had been losing the most prestigious and fastest ships in the transatlantic shipping trade. And so when Cunard agreed to this low interest rate with the British Empire, they also agreed to some certain specifications, including building the Lusitania with a longitudinal coal bay, just in case Britain went to war. They could then put the Lusitania as a war ship. However, by the beginning of World War II, all the ships built on this technology, on this knowledge, were vastly and quickly behind to the newest and latest ship, the submarine, with using the torpedo, which could strike without any warning. And so these longitudinal coal bunkers that the Lusitania and other ships had been built upon, old technology, were outdated. And so on May 7th, 1915, when the passenger ship Lusitania, now the, the most prestigious and the fastest transatlantic ship in the world, was struck by a torpedo as its old, outdated technology with the longitudinal coal bays did not protect it, in fact, led to its quicker destruction, sadly killing over 1,000 people. This was a tragedy that could have been prevented in a number of ways, but I think there are many parallels for us this morning. At this point in the letter, Paul is writing to the Colossian church, and he's trying to say many of the same points that the book, the letter of the Hebrews, is saying, namely, stop living off old from information. The old information is good. We're grateful for the old information, but there's new information out there. There's new information that is better in every way than the old information. Again, we're grateful for the old. We're thankful for the old. But the new is better in every single way. And if you live with the old, you're missing the point. And you're, in fact, harming yourself and you're potentially harming others. Therefore, Paul says, the Word of God says, stop living off the old ways. The new ways, as repeatedly said throughout the Gospels and the New Testament, is that Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. You do not need anything else. The new has arrived. Stop living in the old. Jesus is better in every single way. Well, how do we see that? One main point, coming at it from different angles, Jesus is enough, so don't add or subtract for him. Jesus is enough. Watch out for arrogance and Jesus is enough, a homemade Jesus will not work. But before we begin, Jesus is enough, don't add or subtract him. We need to go back to verses 13, 14, and 15, because if we see a therefore in the scripture, what's it there for? Therefore, what's it there for? Well, in the previous verses, Paul is laying out the gospel, Paul is laying out the most fundamental truths of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You were once dead in your trespasses. And in Christ Jesus, you've been made alive together with him. Your trespasses have been forgiven. The record of debt that you and I have that we cannot overcome has been nailed to the cross. And as Jesus rose from the grave and defeated his enemies, that record of debt has been wiped clean. This is courtroom language. You and I are guilty. We deserve the penalty of death, but the penalty has been paid by Christ on the cross. Therefore, again, your record is wiped clean. You can no longer be tried of your crimes. Satan can bring charges against you. The world can bring charges against you. You can bring charges against you, but you are no longer guilty. You are innocent. You are righteous the legal demands have been met on what Christ has done on your behalf. In the 1993 movie Tombstone, some would argue and say it's the greatest movie of all time. (laughs) Y'all, even the 9 o'clock gave me some chuckles. I I love the 9 o'clock. I hope that didn't come across that way. In this movie Tombstone, It's between the famous lawman Wyatt Earp as their central character and his trusty sidekick, Doc Hollywood, against the outlaw gang, the Cowboys, with their leader, Johnny Ringo. And before the showdown between Wyatt Earp and Johnny Ringo, Wyatt is talking to his best friend, Doc Holliday, considered the fastest gun in the West. And Wyatt realizes, I can't beat Johnny Ringo, can I? And Doc Holliday, who's dying of tuberculosis, says, No, you can't beat him. But Wide Earp goes anyways. But by the time Wide Earp arrives with his showdown against Johnny Ringo that he cannot win, he sees and recognizes that Doc Holliday has gone in his place and has defeated Johnny Ringo. Wide Earp did nothing but put his faith in his friend, and his friend went in his steed, and Wide Earp no longer has to be afraid of Johnny Ringo. I was also reminded of a scene in one of the Harry Potter series, in book six, Harry Potter is walking with his professor, Professor Dumbledore, considered the greatest wizard of all time, and it's a dangerous time in the series. And, and as they're walking along, Professor Dumbledore says to Harry, Harry, take out your wand. But in fact, you don't have to worry about being attacked. And Harry says, why not? And Dumbledore says, because you're with me. Since Harry is with the most powerful wizard in the world, he has nothing to be afraid of. In Christ Jesus, he's gone ahead of you. He has said you are innocent, and you are beloved, and you are righteous. This is who you are. This is your identity. This defines you from here on out if you put faith in Jesus. Now, do you and I continue to sin? Yes, we are continuing, continually guilty of sin, but that is not who we are anymore. That does not define us. Jesus defines us. And so if that is true of you, if you are defined by what Jesus has done for you, having your debt canceled, then verse 16 says, let no one pass judgment on you by adding or subtracting from Jesus in regards to food and drink and festival, new moons, and Sabbaths. Since your identity is in Christ, he's enough to define you. You don't need to add or subtract from him. So what's Paul getting at? Well, first, food and drink. It's believed that some false visitors, excuse me, some visitors or false teachers have come into the Colossian church and they're telling the Colossians, yes, you need to believe in Jesus. Jesus is good, but there are all these other Old Testament rules and regulations that you need to follow. And if you go back and read the Old Testament, I encourage you to do that. There are hundreds of laws and regulations forbidding and telling you what you can eat or drink. Eat this, don't eat that, eat this kind of animal, don't eat this kind of animal. There are hundreds of them. In regards to drink, there are not as many regulations. Just drink in such a way that glorifies God. Appreciate what God has provided, but don't worship the drink or what the drink can do for you. And with regards to the festival, new moon or Sabbath, theologians believe that this is most likely referring back to Old Testament, annual, monthly, and weekly, special, sacred, or holy days. So the Colossian visitors said, don't eat these foods anymore. Yes, Jesus is good, but you also need to not eat these things. Jesus is good, but you also need to do these special and sacred holy days as well. Now, I think to our 2022 ears, I think it's possible to read quickly through this and think, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with us? But I don't think it takes too much of a thought of experiments, a thought experiment to see where we do very similar things. I think maybe one way to think of it is this way. What church things, what church activities outside of Sunday morning do you judge yourself or do you judge others for doing or not doing? Let me say that again. What church things outside of Sunday morning worship do you judge others for doing or not doing? Now, this church does a lot of good activities. There are really good things out there Bible study, life group, youth group, C3. R-U-F. Don't stop coming to R-U-F. Those are good activities, I hope. Right? For some of you, I think you probably should join some of those things because they're really good opportunities for you to grow in your relationship with Christ and grow in your relationship with others. They're designed for that reason. That's what they're there for. They can be one of the major means by which you grow in Christ. But if you made these extra things the main thing, right, if you were to honestly evaluate your life Would you say, it's these activities that I do that define me, or does Jesus define me? I realize that's not mutually exclusive, because if Jesus is your identity, if Jesus defines you, then you do these things. But if these things that you do went away, would you, in fact, also lose your identity with Christ? What about food and drink? Again, food and drink regulations from the Old Testament are no more. Christ has fulfilled every single part of the law. Every food, every drink requirement or what is forbidden, Jesus fulfilled. But they are there in the Old Testament for a reason. They were there to separate God's people from the world. To set them apart. To say, this is one of the ways that makes you holy. This is one of the ways that defines you as a people. What we eat or drink doesn't define us as a people anymore. Jesus defines us. He is the one who set you apart. He is the one who has made you holy. But food or drink can, I think, define us now, right? I'm really grateful for the food revolution in America, if you will. Food's gotten better. I don't know about y'all, but if you're my age or older, you kind of grew up, food was kind of rough. It's gotten better, praise God for food, but do you chase after the best meal, the best dish, the best drink? That could define you. Eating too much can define you. Not eating enough can define you. Waiting for the next drink can define you. Or not drinking. I'm not this type of person, and I look down upon others who do. Food and drink are wonderful gifts of God to be enjoyed if you can but they're not what define us anymore they are not what makes us who we are Jesus makes us who we are first Corinthians 10 I think can be helpful it finishes with so whether you eat or drink whatever you do do all to the glory of God Paul is telling us the Bible is telling us man food and drink are good these extra activities can be good they're not in and of themselves enough. They're a shadow of Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament, every law, every requirement, everything forbidden, any special day of worship, they are a shadow of Jesus and they are are not enough because there's no substance in a shadow. Think about it, what can a shadow offer you? A shadow offers you nothing except one thing. The shadow is pointing to a particular shape But that shadow is not enough. If you try to live in the substance of the shadow, it's like picking up a wet noodle, if you will. It goes right through your fingers. But there's new technology out there. A strainer is a beautiful thing. It's designed to dump your noodles in so you can eat them. Stop trying to pick up the wet noodles with your hands. That would, one, burn your hands, but you're not gonna get anything anyways. The strainer has arrived and it is good and it is enough. Jesus is enough. Paul says, stop adding to or subtracting from Jesus, but also watch out for arrogance, because arrogance, either your own arrogance or the arrogance of another, they can disqualify you. Now, that's kind of a difficult thing to hear, because Paul says, how can you be, or how can you be disqualified if Paul just said in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, that if your record of debt has been forgiven, if Jesus defines you, how can you be disqualified in the faith? Jesus talks about how if you are mine, nothing can snatch you away from me. Paul says it throughout those letters that if you are justified, you will be glorified. So how can you be disqualified? I think, honestly, this is one of the tensions of the Christian life. We don't always have perfect answers. In one sense, you are Jesus's and he can never and will never let you go. So how do we kind of work these two things together? I was thinking about the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Jesus describes the sower, and he's throwing seed along the path. And the seed's fall in different places. The seed falls on the path. The bird comes and eats it up. The seed falls in rocky ground. It grows, but then the sun scorches it because its roots are shallow. Some fell among the thorns, so it grew, but the, choke, excuse me, the, the thorns choked it out. And some, of course, fell in good soil, and they grew 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. Jesus then goes on to explain that some hear the word, but the word is snatched away from them. Some hear the word they're excited about. it. They're growing exponentially in their faith. They're they're passionate. They're zealous. But their roots are shallow. And so when suffering and persecution and difficulty comes, they they wither away. They walk away. Others grow in their faith. Perhaps you grew up in the church or you've seen someone grow up in the church and they've, they've claimed to know Christ and then they walk away from the faith because the world is too appealing to them. What does this have to do with disqualification? The scripture is very clear. You cannot lose your salvation if you've put faith in Jesus. But to some degree, how you live your life proves whether or not your salvation is real. The book of James talks about good works don't save you, but faith apart from good works isn't saving faith. In other words, if you have faith in Christ, then the good works in your life prove that you have faith in Christ. So in light of verse 18 Paul is saying don't let extra things disqualify you. Paul is saying, do you believe that you need special things to know Jesus specially? And if you need special things to know Jesus specially, then in fact you will disqualify your faith. Now at first thought, of course. None of us would say, I don't think any of us would say, you need special knowledge. So, why does Paul mention this? Again, I don't think we have to go too far to recognize that these beliefs can creep into our own hearts and these beliefs can creep into the church. Paul talks about asceticism, and I think what he's getting at is false humility. Essentially, someone who says they're humble is usually not a humble person, are they? I'm a humble person, are you? It's C.S. Lewis' classic quote, humble people don't think less of themselves, they think of themselves less. If the Colossian Christians continue to listen to the fake humble teachers, it will eventually derail their faith because these fake humble teachers are arrogant and they're puffed up and they're full of themselves. And so these false teachers are saying you need these extra things to believe in Jesus. Jesus is good, but there are these other things as well. One of them is the worship of angels. Now, commentators have a tough time parsing out what this means. One possible explanation is that these Christians, these false Christians, were saying you need to worship God the way the angels worship God. That sounds good, right? That sounds appealing. That sounds holy. You think of the, the angels when Jesus is born and they're praising God and giving glory to God in the highest. It sounds good to praise God that way, but is that sustainable? Is that possible over the long haul? Have you ever had a high mountaintop experience worshiping God and you're full of his spirit and it's good and that that is a great, wonderful thing, but what happens when you come down and the expectation is you always have that? Over the long haul, you will be discouraged. Over the long haul, that is not sustainable because you will never know if your worship is enough. You will never know if your worship is good enough for the glory of God. I've been there before, and it's almost wrecked my faith. Perhaps you're there or have been there as well. Sometimes the most glorifying worship you can offer God is you woke up on Sunday morning. You were a broken mess. You wanted nothing to do but to stay in bed. And by the grace of God, you rolled out of bed, and you showed up here. you've showed up here, you cannot sing a song because anxiety is crushing your soul. You cannot sing a song because your heart is hard and angry towards God. You cannot sing a song because something horrible and tragic has happened in your life. And yet God says, you don't have to have a mountaintop experience to worship me. If you have a speck of faith, if you have a mustard seed of faith, if you believe that Jesus loves you and cares for you and delights in you and even though the world has turned its back on you, Jesus has not, that is enough. You don't need anything more to add to Jesus. And on the flip side, y'all, if you can show up at church and worship him with a joyful heart, praise God. Praise God. Right? Come here, praising God in faith. Read the confession in faith. Take the Lord's Supper in faith. Pray along with your pastors in faith. We, with all sorts of grace, y'all, we are not the frozen chosen. You are chosen? Praise God. And He is rightly to be praised. What about special visions? Paul continues on, if there are false Christians in your midst, false leaders in your midst, false teachers in your midst, and they're saying, God told me this, God showed me this, God told me to tell you X. Y'all, if a leader in the church tells you that, with all sorts of grace and all sorts of urgency, you run. You turn your back on them and you walk away from them. They are not concerned about you. They are only concerned about themselves. It sounds holy, it sounds spiritual, but they are a chicken with their head cut off. They have disconnected themselves from the head of Jesus Christ. If you continue to follow them, if you continue to follow Jesus plus this, they will eventually disqualify your faith. Whether that leader knows it or not, their goal is not the glory of God and their goal is not your care they're following someone else. They're following a Jesus that is not of the Bible. They're following a false Jesus. They're following a counterfeit Jesus. You can buy the Longchamp or the Ray-Bans from a knockoff vendor. They're going to look good for a time. Those Ray-Ban sunglasses, they're knockoff. They look good. They'll burn your eyes. That Longchamp bag, it feels pretty outdated at this moment, but I'm going to go with it anyways. It's like a It was a a pretty cool purse for a time. But eventually, the tear in the bottom, it's going to get bigger and bigger until all your valuables have fallen and they're 10 blocks away. They're fakes. They do not protect you. They do not build you up. Yes, it seems humble to worship God in a special way. It seems humble to trust a leader that has extra visions from God than ordinary church leaders have but they're saying you need something more than Jesus. They're saying you need something more than Jesus has given you. It's saying, yes, his word is good, but it's not good enough. Therefore, Paul says, y'all, hold fast to the head. Hold fast to the head, who is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourishing it together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from Christ. The problem with counterfeits and false teachers is they give the illusion of growth. They give the illusion that if you follow Jesus in this special way, you will grow in a wonderful and special way, but it is a lie. Colossians 2, 6, and 7, right before this, Paul says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? You received him in faith. And so the same way that you received your justification is the same way you receive your sanctification, in faith, in faith faith according to the ordinary means of God's grace. Desperately cling to Jesus. And y'all, we need to do it together. Y'all, if we all hold fast to Christ together, we grow with one another. Your sanctification in your mind, this is difficult for our American individualistic ears to hear. Your growth in Christ is tied to my growth in Christ and vice versa. Sanctification is a group Process. If some of us are following counterfeit Jesus, it doesn't just hurt you, it hurts us all. Think about football. College football is upon us, as I joked at the 9 a.m. I try not to think about it because I'm a Virginia Tech fan. But there are many different positions in football on both sides of the ball, quarterback, linebacker, corner, uh, I said that already, receivers. And even within each position, there are nuances. Weak tackle, strong tackle, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, all have different roles and unique abilities and different special sizes and gifts all towards the same goal. But if one player starts following opposing voices, if one player starts following a different game plan, it hurts the whole team hold fast to Jesus according to his word. He is enough. This is where growth comes from. This is where growth comes from. There's more though. There are other ways that you and I live that practically reveal we don't think Jesus is enough because we often make a homemade Jesus. I'll be brief about this point. What's a homemade Jesus look like? Well, look at verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations. Paul is essentially saying, if Jesus is enough, if Jesus is sufficient, if Jesus died for your sins and made you alive together with Christ, Paul is saying, why do you live for these things? Why do you live practically that says Jesus is enough? So, four ways we make our own Jesus, the world, the law, religiosity, and the flesh. If Jesus is enough, Paul says, why do we continue in the to follow the elemental spirits of the world. This is the second time Paul says this phrase in Colossians 2. Paul is essentially saying, if Jesus defines you, if who you are is centered on Christ, if if he is identity, why do you live in such a way that it's Jesus plus the world? Why do you live like the world still owns you? He continues, why do you still follow the law? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Jesus fulfilled every requirement, every aspect of the law in the Old Testament. Why have you added laws that you think you need plus Jesus? You don't gain any favor before God by making your own rules up. You don't gain any favor before God by saying you need Jesus plus these things. Thirdly, religiosity. This circles back to the beginning, I think. What are the activities that you or I do or don't do that say we need, plus Jesus, religious activities? And finally, the flesh. You can attempt to stop sinning on your own strength and by putting up walls and hedges, those things might help for a time. You might be able to stop the sin in your life for a time, but ultimately, you cannot stop sinning on your own strength. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what's your homemade Jesus look like? A joke, but kind of serious. Is it Jesus plus your college football team? When your team loses, how do you respond? Is it Jesus plus your sports? Is it Jesus plus your family? Is it Jesus plus your politics? Is it Jesus plus your rules? Is it Jesus plus your religious activity? Y'all, if you put your faith in Jesus, those Jesus pluses died. They are of no value anymore. They died to you when you died with Christ and rose with him. They are not worth it. Jesus is enough. The British Navy 100 years ago, again, had new information and failed to live on that new information. It cost over a thousand people their lives and many more at the beginning of the war as they continued to live off of old information. Paul emphatically says, the Bible emphatically says, don't live off the shadows. They're not worth it. In fact, they'll eventually wreck your faith. Live off the substance. Live off Jesus. In a bit more of a lighthearted manner, I'm not going to spoil anything. But if you happen to see this summer's Top Gun Maverick, you saw a great movie. An overall fun ride of a movie in every way better than the original 1980s Top Gun. Top Gun. Better plot, better characters, not necessarily more believable, but more enjoyable love story. In every single way, Top Gun Maverick is more complete and more full and objectively better than the 80s version. Now, we can complain about Top Gun, the 80s, but without Top Gun 80s version, we can, we can get rid of a couple scenes. We wouldn't have the opportunity for a superior sequel, but why would you ever go back to the old Top Gun? It's not worth it. The newer one is better in every single way. Y'all, a little lighthearted, but Jesus is better in every single way. He is sufficient. He is enough to save you. He is enough to make you grow. He is enough to carry you through suffering and difficulties. He is enough. Hold fast to the Jesus of the Bible, not a counterfeit Jesus, not a homemade Jesus, not a Jesus with additions or subtractions, just Jesus of the Bible. He's enough. One final thought. in the morning that the Lusitania was to set out from her dock in the Hudson River in New York. Germans put advertisements through many of the newspapers throughout New York City. Many of the passengers, many of the employees of the shipping company, they saw these advertisements, but only two people, according to Eric Larson in the book Dead Wake, actually heeded to these warnings. They thought it was preposterous. But the Germans would sink a fully loaded passenger ship carrying almost 100 children, including 40 infants, and they, of course, were wrong. They had new information and they ignored it. Y'all, you and I, we have all the information we need. The Jesus of the Bible is sufficient for the forgiveness of sins, for the canceling of the record of our debt, for perseverance and for ultimately glorification where we'll see Jesus face to face. Let's not add, let's not subtract, let's not follow arrogant ones, let's not make up our own Jesus. This Jesus is enough. So a couple questions to leave us with. Is this the Jesus you believe in? Doesn't this Jesus sound appealing? Would you believe in this Jesus? He's the only one that's enough. He's the only one that's sufficient. Would you all pray with me? Father, thank you for this Jesus, the Jesus of your word. Father, would you give us faith to believe in who you are, wisdom to recognize who you aren't, and faith to carry on. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.